This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, Adam here. Uh, just a quick note before we get started, we had some technical issues this week uh, that resulted in my microphone being way, way, way too loud. Um, so yeah, uh, thanks for putting up with it this week. If you do want to skip it, uh, I would totally understand. It's mostly just Thomas waffling on about data anyway. So I uh, hope you enjoy the show. Thanks for tuning in and uh, I'll talk to you again, hopefully on a proper mic next week. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this. Interest rates are higher, and if people don't like that, but you should be welcoming a stronger economy. And maybe a deal has a point about the machinery of capitalism being oiled with the blood of the workers. The United States is a country that has always paid all of its bills. Lannister always pays his debts. Don't let the bastards get you. Hello and welcome to Comedian versus Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, g'day, Adam. How are you going? Good, thank you. Very loud, apparently. Mm. <laughs> In your ears, at least. Hopefully not coming through uh, on the show. Uh, Thomas, massive show coming up. Uh, just like doing laundry after St. Patrick's Day, a massive superannuation company has also been greenwashing. Uh, things are getting rough for the Melbourne Golf Club after its builder encountered a hazard, leaving it out of bounds and the club having to rethink and mull over its options again. Or as they say in golf, they'll have to mull again. A uh, little golf gag for you. If, if we were at a corporate, you're looking at me confused. If we were at a corporate <laughs> golf comedy night right now, that would be standing ovation. <laughs> if, you, if you're one of the few listeners understanding Adam's jokes, just feel free to write in. CV at podcast. Summon, summon, summon. <laughs> Great hosting, Thomas. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, safety is in fashion again uh, as tradies spend big on their new kicks with Nike expected to launch the Nike Air Jordan Sparky 3 later this year. But first, inflation is dead. <laughs> Long live interest rates. Thomas, we had some sweet dats coming out this week. What did we learn? Ah, oh, the dats. Yes. The the dat. Dat. I'm the, the dat. trying to make economics more accessible to the kids. Yeah, right. I'm just going to get that going as some cool slang for data. Yeah, yeah. No, I saved yeah, the whole I syllable. That. I think it's going to catch on. That's going to catch on for sure. Mm. Yeah, no, we got we got two big pieces of data last week. We got GDP and the monthly inflation data and mm. both came in a bit floppy actually. Mm. It's kind of hard to think about it. They're like not just not just soft but much softer than we're right. expecting. Yeah, a bit of like eyebrow eyebrow raising kind of soft. right yeah so yeah gdp in the december quarter came in at 0.5 (laughs) percent i'm just thinking is that that's the most expression we could possibly get out of economists (laughs) (laughs) well it was enough to we raised our eyebrows that's how (laughs) 
It was really quite a scene. <laughs> Just everywhere you looked, eyebrows. <laughs> the GDP data drew hollers from the crowd at the economics. <laughs> Some raised Symposium. eyebrows and a few woohoos. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, 0.5% in the December quarter versus 0.8%. That was expected, so that's a that's a long way off. Hang on, sorry, is this GDP? GDP, yes, yeah, still with GDP, mm. very soft, and on the back of household consumption growth mm. cratering almost, so down to 0.3 percent. So that, yeah, so how basically households are looking pretty were pretty soft. They didn't pull much weight in the December quarter, and much less than we we're expecting them to. Yeah, so they weren't spending much, but at the same time, they also dipped into their. Um, they seem to be dipping into their savings rates. Savings, so savings rate fell to four point five percent. That was down from seven point one percent in the September quarter. Yeah, last time it was that low was September 7, 2017. So house, so households are dipping into their savings to support consumption, but even while they're doing that, consumption is barely growing. It's barely ticking along. I thought GDP was the measurement of what we were sort of putting out and selling. But is that is that was it, yeah? But I guess it relies on people buying the things. Yeah, yeah. That's just how we count how right. how much stuff got made. So yeah, you can measure it. How got, yeah, but it's all same same. So you can there's a, there's an income oh, really? measure. <laughs> yeah, uh, I yes. could make something and not sell it. <laughs> yeah, and that would that would go into inventories, not into consumption. Ah, okay. Right. So. Yeah, there's there's just different there's different ways to cut up to sort of sum together economic activity. Right. Okay. One's how much stuff gets bought, and that's sort of because it's in the marketplace, and you count the transaction. Then that tends to be the the go to measure. Right. Okay. Yeah. So how, households are. And we thought we thought they were holding up reasonably strong because you know the black Black Friday sales and all of that was was good. But and they're in November, right? Black yeah, Friday. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So yeah, that's in the in the December quarter, mm. the three months up to December. Um, but it seems like yeah, outside of that, things mm. aren't aren't looking so great. Um, so that is good good for people looking for rate cuts. Will, will the RBA take that as a signal that we can kind of start um, slashing? It's going to raise some eyebrows at the RBA. <laughs> right. we're, we're pretty sure about that. Mm. Yeah, just I mean, just because it was much weaker than expected. Could be some scowls, even. Yeah, the thing with the the RBA is they were looking to sort of for the interest rates to buy it, and kind of the puzzle up and in, in the second half of last year was that interest rates were being raised quite aggressively, but consumers were still holding onto their spending. Mm. So we weren't seeing that starting to buy it, but now it does seem like it's it's biting and biting quite quickly. Right. The sort of the partial indicators saying that the December quarter wasn't going to be so, so soft were, were just wrong. That consumption was much softer than expected. So was that you mentioned it was quick? Like why why was it so quick? Like why why didn't we see a more gradual kind of floppiness? Yeah, I don't know why we're on the fast track to floppy town. That's one of the <laughs> kind of puzzles of the moment. I did see it. It was only in the RBA in minutes. Actually, was the fast track to floppy town. Yeah, yeah. Stealing discussion. one discussion. Yeah, <laughs> discussion paper. Open, open table. Uh, just round table discussion on fast track to floppy town. I think was, was what was officially in the minutes. Yeah, had a robust discussion. <laughs> well, one is I think consumer behaviour is slow to react. Mm. Yeah, but slow and then quick. But I think that that seems to be. I mean, the interesting thing is like. For most of last year, we seem to be about two quarters behind the world economy. So looking at sort of 
inflation and GDP data for the developed world, Australia was holding up much better than the rest of the world and it, and it was taking time to, to, to bite. Right. But, but now it seems like we might have, we've, we've leapfrogged the rest of the world and we're actually uh, f- slowing much more quickly than, than, than the rest of the world. So we've gone from being behind the, the global cycle to being in front of it. Which right. is there's no way you want to be good at though. <laughs> no, no. Like, <laughs> I'd rather we were keeping pace in the beginning, and mm. then like now's now's not the time to be excelling at being bad. Yeah, yeah. breaking away from the peloton. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Lowe just at the front in the yellow leaders jersey. <laughs> I got this. <laughs> Follow me. Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, the, the, so the interesting thing with with this is that. So, so the, the RBA took a hawkish turn in February, mm. um, hiked rates and then came out in the minutes much more hawkish than people expected. Everyone ratcheted up their expectations of where the terminal rates were going to be, like where we're going to end this rate height cycle. Since, since they did that, everything has come in much softer than expected. So right. GDP, as we're saying, was softer. Wages last week were much softer than expected. Employment was a touch softer. The monthly CPI, I didn't touch on it, but that was 7.4% in January compared to 8.1% expected. So that's quite a, a way softer than, than markets were expecting as well. And so everything that you'd be looking for to justify that hawkish turn that the RBA did in February mm. has disappointed. And it's, and it's just sort of come in a bit floppy. So, like, I really think, like, particularly with the wages data coming in much softer, as we talked about last week, the case for sort of more rapid or even, like, any more rate hikes, I think, kind of isn't there. Like, if it would be me, I'd be, I'd be pausing. I think they've, they've painted themselves into the corner and they need to raise rates. Well, this will come out yesterday by the time this, 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 this podcast hits the ears. Like, but, yeah, so I think they'll raise, you know, this month, but then – and they you know, possibly raise rates next month because I set that expectation. But then mm. after that, like, I, I just don't think there's any case there. I think there's definitely, it's definitely time for a pause. Is there, surely the RBA doesn't have like a pride issue, does it? You know, like they're not like, oh, we can't backtrack on, we said we we're going to do this and we can't just, we can't just yeah. change course because I guess they also need confidence as well, which, you know, they can't be seen to be shooting from their hip, right? They can't just be like, no, oh, no, it's no, data no. Is, is good. <laughs> I mean, data's floppy, quick. Well, <laughs> but they can't yeah, be, you know, jumping in yeah, shadows yeah. as it were. So, yeah, they, they talk about credibility in, in central bank speak. Mm. So you've got, you got to be credible. And the reason you've got to be credible is that if you, you anchor expectations, if everyone believes you and believes mm. that you're going to hit your inflation target, then that the economy just naturally gravitates to that target because that's what everyone's expecting because everyone believes you if your credibility goes out the water then or goes out the window then you know people don't know what's going to happen and and you get much you know just opens away for more unpredictability and in inflation outcomes so yeah so that's why you do need to sort of be a bit predictable and boring as much as you can oh, well you got to stay credible and the only alternative would be to be incredible and I think that's going to happen <laughs> <laughs> the opposite of credible, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's like, yeah, you, you've got an incredibility issue. <laughs> All right, Thomas, uh, ASIC, Australian Securities and Investment Commission, is taking a super fund to court. 
What's going mm. on there? Yeah, this is this is a first. So the corporate watchdog is accusing the retail supergiant Mercer of greenwashing, effectively, of misleading members about the sustainability of its investments. Ah. Yeah. So this is this is a first. We haven't ever seen seen anything like this from ASIC or right. yeah. And I mean ESG, you know, as a sort of investment screen is still relatively new. Um, but yeah, this is so the a first. screen. A screen is just like you can you have a list of companies, and then you say, "Well, we want to have sustainable ones." So these ones, these ones, they don't meet the criteria. And but the criteria is set by who? By the by the super fund? By the super fund? Yeah, right. yeah. So, so it's- it's- <laughs> fail they set their own rules and then broke their own rules is that right well i mean i think i think this will be a really interesting one to see how it plays out because how you define sustainable is is sort of a subjective question Mm. um you know it's a bit like you know could you can you label uh all cereals healthy because they've got oats regardless of how much sugar they've got in them healthy is kind of a subjective term Right. Do you know what I mean? You, you know, like it's not like this; it's locked in. And so I think this is this will be an interesting test because they they labelled they had a, a fund called the Sustainable Plus Fund, um, which they marketed as suitable for members who are deeply invested to sustainability. Deeply. Mm. <laughs> They're really selling it. You'd have, you'd have to look at the product disclosure statement to see what, what that means. But ASICS is accusing them of claiming that it excluded companies that were involved in carbon-intensive fossil fuels, oh, yeah. but then found out they were invested in 15 fossil fuel companies, including AGO Energy, BHP, Glencore, and Whitehaven Coal. <laughs> Haven't you seen the ads for BHP? You can't yeah, go yeah. green without digging up the earth and providing the copper to go green. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think you could argue the toss on BHP. Mm. Whitehaven Coal, probably a little <laughs> harder to argue that it's not a fossil fuel company. <laughs> it's kind of in the name. Mm. So, yeah, but like, yeah, like that's, that's right. Like you could argue the toss with BHP. It's like, well... Mm. So, like, uh, yeah, it'd be really. It's going to be really interesting to see how how that play out and how they how they prosecute the case. So, would would a reasonable person expect BHP mm. to be in there? Would they expect Whitehaven Coal to be in there? Mm. Given 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 what their marketing materials were, and I'm not sure what they were. I mean, the other one they've got is alcohol and gambling. ASIC saying they told members it excluded the fund excluded alcohol producers and gambling outfits. Mm-hmm. But then invested in 34 companies across those sectors, including Crown Resorts, Tabcorp. Bit hard to argue Tabcorp's not involved in gambling. <laughs> Budweiser, Carlsberg, and Heineken. <laughs> uh, maybe they were. I'm just trying to play devil's advocate here. Maybe they were trying to invest in the zero alcohol uh, product oh, arm of right, Heineken, yeah. Carlsberg, and Budweiser. Mm. Uh, and they were saying, well, these companies are responsible for producing zero alcohol beers. Mm. Um, therefore, they're in. Yeah, 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 um, maybe. I don't know how that, you wrangle Tabcorp in there. Tabcorp. <laughs> Just wanted exposure a, to junior footy sponsorship. <laughs> uh, I mean, Crown Resorts is in there, and you could argue Crown's terrible at gambling. Haven't they got massive <laughs> fines going their way? <laughs> Yeah, they took, they took some big bets that didn't play out at all. 
So, you know, are they in, are they in gambling or not? I don't know. Because um, mm. ESG is a big focus for a lot of companies, not just for super funds. But is this yeah. is this good or, or bad for the future of uh, ESG? I mean, I think I think it is good. I mean, I think I think if a fund is selling itself as you know ESG specific, it needs mm. to be. There needs to be some accountability. You can't just you know the same way you can't just slap healthy on a cereal without some you know reasonable claim. You, mm. There needs to, you know if you're claiming to be a sustainable fund, you need to be you know walking the walk to somehow otherwise yeah otherwise people are sort of misled. You know there are independent certifications now for ESG, for businesses at least. You know, mm. like businesses can be, I think it's B Corp certified uh, yeah, and other, yeah. there's certifications that say, yes, you've done whatever the requirements are to be mm. considered for, you know, as a as an ESG or as a responsible company or whatever it is. Mm. Um, but I don't know whether that applies to super funds or to any investment, any company that's investing. Yeah, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen it. But again, there's no like, there's no definitive definition of like, if you had to sort of pull together this, all the sustainable companies on the ASX, mm. everyone, like, I don't think anyone would have, would come up with the same list. There's lot, lots of different, you know, like also I could imagine, you know, like with the gambling and alcohol, like that's, you know, they're, they're things that people often want to screen from, but they're not like, you're not screening them because then they're, they're not sustainable. You're not, screening because Tabcorp has a high carbon footprint. Mm. So, but so it's, but the, the fund was called the Sustainable Plus Fund. Like to me it's kind of reasonable that I would kind of expect Tabcorp to be there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily expect Tabcorp to be screened just on a sustainability metric. Do you know what I mean? So like it, it depends on how you're selling yeah. the fund. Yeah, what is ESG? What's ESG? Environmental Sustainability and G, Gov- what's the G? Governance? Governance. Mm, yeah. Governance. So I guess yeah. yeah, to that measure, Tabcorp probably makes it in the list. But they did, didn't they? Explicitly say we won't get involved in gambling or alcohol as part of this. Yeah, they did say that. That's what that's what ASIC is alleging that they they marketed it as having that gambling screen. So right. and then they just seems like yeah, the allegation is they they marketed it that way, but then just didn't didn't apply the screen. Right. Maybe that maybe it was just that they had like um, that their algorithm was just. You had to not do one of these things. So they asked Tabcorp, <laughs> "Are you sustainable? And do you produce alcohol?" And Tabcorp went, "Nah, we don't do either of those." They're like, "Brilliant, you're in." Yeah. They went to Heineken and said, "Are you guys running like corporate gambling operations?" And they went, "Definitely not. We are definitely not doing that." They were brilliant. <laughs> you're in too. This is going well. Uh, right, yeah, and they said that they went to Crown. <laughs> you guys doing gambling or alcohol? Well, we used to. <laughs> All right, why don't we pause there? We'll grab a break uh, here from this week's sponsors and be back with more Comedian versus Economist right after this. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. 
Welcome back. You're on Comedian versus Economist. Uh, you can send us an email if you like, cve at equitymates.com. We would love to hear from you. Uh, Stephen did just that. He said he's been loving the show since the very first podcast. However, I'm usually too lazy to write into these things. Well, good on you, Stephen. Good job. Uh, he said, but since you two are my only source of financial news these days, that's a bit risky, Stephen, to be honest, <laughs> uh, I have to ask, can you make sense of the superannuation tax debacle going on at the moment? Do you think it's a good idea? And if not, can you think of an alternative? Um, Thomas, what's going on with superannuation tax? Everyone's outraged, aren't they? Yeah. It, it, I mean, this is such a non-issue in my mind. Like there's, you get a concessional tax on your, on your super, and the idea is that you, you give people that concessional tax rate to encourage super to, so people, you know, make the choices today to provide for their future. And then that takes the burden off the government. And so that's why you're trying to incentivize that. And that's awesome. And yeah, I, I like that. But at the moment, there's no cap on how, on how much you can put in and, and get that concessional tax rate. Labor's proposal is like, there should be a cap. And it's $3 million. So once your super, you know, accumulates the $3 million, you'd, you'd lose access to that concessional. That, well, the super concessional tax rate is like 15%. It goes up to 30%, which is still isn't, right. isn't that much. So like one is, is so obvious. Like, you know, once your balance is $3 million, we, we as the government, as the Australian community, don't need to be incentivizing you to put more money into super. <laughs> if you're putting more money. You're in just, pretty good shape if you're looking at your super balance at the moment and yeah. it's got... It's got a three followed by six digits. <laughs> yeah. I reckon you're feeling pretty confident about your, your future position. Yeah, yeah. So we just don't need to incentivize those people mm. to contribute more. Like the, the, there just isn't an argument for it. And so like it just seems so like just blindingly obvious that one, you just have a cap. Mm. Two, the, a three million cap is pretty generous. Like it's pretty high. And like I think it applies to zero point five percent of of superannuation holders, so it's really small. I think eighty thousand people are in the category. At the yeah, moment, right. Of however many in, in Australia. Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of them are listening to us, but <laughs> so I, feel, I feel like it's I'm not pretty, sure. It depends on which house they're in at the moment. Like I despair at the way that this somehow gets beaten up into a, into an issue that. Has it like what? Like, there's no argument against it. I haven't even seen anyone make an argument against it, other than sort of vague hand waving about Labor wanting to tax super. Or it's just such a it's such a beat up. It's such a nothing story. Well, one problem is it's not indexed, so it's a fixed three million dollar figure, <laughs> which means by like as as early as two thousand one hundred ninety seven. <laughs> <laughs> there could be a large chunk of people who are affected by the $3 million cut-off yeah. point. All right, Thomas, tell me what's happening at the Royal Melbourne Golf Club. They're in a, in a difficult spot. They've um, One of their builders, well, they've got a builder and they've, the builder's gone bust. They're, they're in the process of building a $10 million underground car park. No. Yeah, but the, the firm that they, they contracted that to, Coble Projects, uh, went into administration last week. Going to have to play around that, though. <laughs> it's going to be all, all sorts of trouble. Yeah. Are, yeah. Well, they just fill the hole with sand and just call it a, <laughs> call it a trap. Yeah, make it a statement piece. World's biggest bunker. <laughs> Yeah. Come to Melbourne. Come to Royal Melbourne and Royal see the Melbourne. world's biggest bunker. I didn't know this, but Royal Melbourne, Melbourne is home to Australia's top top ranked golf course, mm. seventh in the world apparently. 
some yeah, right. fast undulating greens, apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know what that means. Or just, apparently that's good. The, yeah, apparently mm. golfers like it. Yeah, it's got a waiting list that's 14 years long. 14 years? Yeah. Wow. If you wait well, for all our years, millennial listeners, put your name down now. Put your name down now. You yeah. Get a membership by the time you give a toss about golf. <laughs> 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 just some forward planning. <laughs> you might think golf's boring now, but you give it 14 years, you'll, yeah. you'll be come, don't come running to us then. Yeah. So, so the, apparently the thing that's kind of amusing in this is that um, it's in the Bayside, Melbourne Bayside suburb of Black Rock, mm. which is in Melbourne Sandbelt. Apparently sand, the Sandbelt is really good for golf courses. There's a uh-huh. bunch of good golf courses, Huntingdale, Commonwealth and Cheltenham. Oh, I've heard of Huntingdale. Yeah, but apparently – that sand is really hard to build underground car parks in. Because oh. you can imagine being in a sand pit trying to build an underground tunnel thing. Well, sand yeah, I mean, collapsing. I don't have a lot of experience to draw on. <laughs> <laughs> I can only think to sitting on the beach with my kids and, you know, when you try and make a tunnel. Yeah, right. <laughs> you dig it out and there's always sand that falls in as you're digging it out. Mm. That. I understand then. I yeah. Understand that's, yeah, that's exactly the trouble that they ran into <laughs> and in the end just went bust. <laughs> Can't do it. Ah. It just jumps out at me because this is, this is, there's a lot of builders going bust right now. So ASIC data is saying that there's 1,236 construction companies have gone into uh, liquidation, receivership or administration so mm. far this financial year. So just over six months. Got twelve hundred construction companies have gone bust. Because I'm getting I, this is one that I think we get mixed messages on. Like you hear, like you can't get. We're going to talk about um, RSEA and the, the boot company. You can't get tradies for love nor money. Mm. There's just tons of work out there, and it seems like there's huge demand for building. Mm. But yet at the same time, I also hear that there's construction companies are going bust. So yeah. what is it? I think I think a lot of it is um, costs in the supply chain. Particularly right. around construction materials that they exploded, and if the builders weren't not hedge it isn't the word, but if they were working to fix price, price contracts, ah, and yeah, they take yeah. sort of eighteen months, two years to play out, like these guys would have, you know, they would have signed that years ago with the mm. car park, and then the costs blow out. They put, you know, they would have had some contingency there, but we've had such a rapid. Ex- escalation in, in construction costs yeah. that they just end up going, the costs overrun their, the margins and they go bankrupt. Yeah. And so those delays and the, are meaning that projects are taking much longer to bring online. So the, the, you can see the pipeline of work in progress. You get, there's data on that, um, con, you know, construction commenced, but not completed. That's blown out. Like that's, that's at record highs. Partly that's because we got a you know, huge surge in construction with home builder grants and all of that out of mm. COVID, but also then it's just projects are taking much longer to to come through. So construction workers are, are well placed for the moment because there's just a lot of work for the stuff that's in the pipeline, mm. even though the firms themselves might be going bust. And, you know, and you look at this, like, you know, this builder Coble's gone bust, but they that's, Royal Melbourne still wants to build the. The thing, so the project doesn't die, even though the, mm. the the company dies, the the project doesn't. So someone else will get the work. So yeah, right. So for the moment, you know, in terms of like impact on the labour market and tradies, they're still well placed. There's still a lot of high demand for tradies. 
So they might end up just going to work for someone else to, to deliver the same project but just uh, under yeah. someone else who's renegotiated the, the cost of doing it. Yeah, yeah, I expect so. Mm. I expect so. It'd be something like that, yeah. I think the other problem that they had was that all of the construction workers, when they arrived at Royal Melbourne, they had nowhere to park their cars and <laughs> they said, sorry, you have to be a member if you want to park there. And then they're like, all right, well, where do I sign for the membership? And they said, sorry, it's a 14-year waiting list. <laughs> <laughs> and it just spiralled out of control from there. Yeah. The, tradies, the, the construction workers didn't have anywhere to park. They were there to build the car park. They'd be able to do it, and it was just it became this big catch twenty two. But yeah, and the, the other the other interesting thing with this is that with the construction companies going bust, mm. um, new high, new home finance commitments have also collapsed. They're the lowest level since two thousand and twelve. So. Right. You know, new new homes aren't getting ordered just because interest rates are rising, so people are holding off. Mm. Yeah, so I think we're looking at a bit of a construction crunch, particularly in residential housing in yeah, right. late 23, 24, which given that we've got a chronic undersupply of housing right now, particularly as immigration rebounds in an epic way, that's, that undersupply of housing is going to get worse because we need need that new stock to come online. Sorry, were you looking for some good news in that? <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> I was looking for a cheery end to the break. We could have a little jovial moment as we like to do uh, as a way to sort of finish the break. But no, you really brought it down. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, and sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> golf pants. Golf pants. <laughs> What's up with golf pants? <laughs> right, Thomas, finally on the show, you've got another Aussie battler story for us. Who is it this time? Yeah, this is almost becoming a regular segment now, isn't it? But no, we've got RSEA Safety Gear. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they're Aussie company doing safety gear, tradey stuff, but particularly boots, work boots. Yeah. Work boots take up, make up 60% of their sales. 60% of their sales in boots alone? Boots alone, that's right. Wow. Yeah, the rest is protective equipment, safety glasses, gloves, earmuffs and knee pads. Right. Yeah, but they're, they're crushing it at the moment. They post the results, uh, record annual sales of $350 million from its 80 stores, hmm. double-digit sales growth each of the past two years. Calendar 2022 was a record year. Yeah, crushing it. And, yeah, they've got 80 stores. They're going to open another 12 in the next 12 months. So why? I guess the obvious question, why are, they, why are their sales going so well? So the chief operating officer, Terry Spirides, um, saying that our customers haven't experienced a drop-off in work yet. You can't get a tradie and that's the litmus test. Right. So, yeah, so as we're sort of saying, construction companies might be going bust, but tradies doing well, high demand, got lots of money. Um, and they're buying boots. Buying boots. Well, the thing, the thing I find really interesting in this story is tradies are buying up more fashionable boots and oh, clothing yeah. Yeah, so it's not not just about safety; it's about fashion. Mm. Uh, to convey that they were final, financially successful and proud of it, they want the world to know they're doing well. Well, so I guess it stands to reason. I mean, never, you never think of, I guess, tradies as trying to look fashionable on the job site, but I suppose everyone wants mm. to look good. You never know who's walking past the job site at any yeah. one time. Anyway. Yeah, you know, yeah. Caught wearing some daggy old. You know, shoes with holes in them or something. Yeah, you know, yeah. Those fresh, those fresh kicks. Yeah, right. I mean, I think I think there's even there's even sort of an emerging market for sort of like, I saw some designer high vis shirts the other day, came up on my Facebook feed as a got an ad for high designer, designer high vis. Yeah, yeah. 
so pretty like tough. It's pretty tough to work in that space, isn't it? Like you imagine like someone like a fashion label's come to you and going, all right, I want you to come up with a brand new design for a shirt that people are going to love. And they're like, okay, cool. Any any minimum requirements? Yes, <laughs> it has to be reflective high vis. <laughs> like, oh, what? It's kind of that's kind of tricky to work with. Well, uh, it's got to look yeah. good at a nightclub, <laughs> also on a job site. Interesting thing uh, with this is like I think like marketing is all over this now, but this is mm. actually an idea that came out of economics. Yeah, no, this is this is I us. Try and claim this. This is this is tradie tradie business, Thomas. This is nothing to do with economists. <laughs> no, 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 no. The the idea that that you're using your consumption not for the you know the utility you derive out of the consumption directly, mm. but for what that consumption says about you. And so you know they're not buying boots because of the qualities of the boots. They're buying the boots because they want to know. They want the world to know that they're doing well. Right. So. Yeah, so this this is what in economics this is called conspicuous consumption. Is this why brands exist on shirts and and things like? Mm. You know, I've always been amazed at the desire, and I've done it. Don't don't get me wrong, I've worn brand name shirts, but I've mm. always been a bit surprised at our willingness as people to be like, I'm going to wear a shirt that's got like Tommy Hilfiger written on it, because mm. effectively you're just kind of a walking advertisement for Tommy Hilfiger. Mm, like really mm. they should be paying you to wear yeah. their shirts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But instead we pay ridiculous prices mm. so that we can wear Tommy Hilfiger or whatever it is. I'm yeah. sorry to touch. Shirts, it just seems like it seems a bit ridiculous when you stop and think about it. Oh, no, totally, totally. Yeah, I mean that's and that's the thing. Like because the quality of the products between a cheap and an expensive shirt isn't that obvious mm. when you first look at it you need a way to signal to people that you've just paid $200 for a shirt. Yeah, right. So you, you want that little label on it because then you go, yeah. Mm. It's pretty niche though in the building industry. Like like I imagine like, you know, you're not going to be on a job site and like lady walks past, ooh, are they steel blue? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Like I feel like the only other people who are going to know what your uh. – what you're rocking on your on your shoes is because like there's a whole know. different brand kind of thing going on within yeah right you know um yeah i don't know i don't even know the brands like hard yakka is that still a thing yeah yeah ruggers <laughs> <laughs> i don't think ruggers were ever yeah. it came out shorts anyway but but the conspicuous consumption doesn't just apply to to people of the opposite sex and trying to pick up right like yeah. You know, you know, you might be going for going for work. Mm. You know, like it might be a legitimate business reason for it. You, you're going for a project. You've just mm. heard that Royal Melbourne's builder's gone bust. So you want to apply for that job. Mm. You want to project one. Well, you need to project that you're a good tradie, so you're going to rock up in your tradie gear. But you want also want to project that you're doing very well as a tradie. So you're yeah. rocking up in your two hundred thousand dollar SUV and your designer mm. work boots and going like, yeah, I'm the I'm the goods. I don't want that. I want my trader to rock up in a beat up old Holden Ute because that says to me that he's he's not charging his customers too much. Yeah. Like I feel like I'm going to get stung <laughs> <laughs> if my trader rocks up with a chauffeur. <laughs> he goes and parks the car around the side. Trader comes to the door wearing his designer high vis. Mm. Then I feel like maybe I'm about to get stung and pay too much for a, a new PowerPoint. You say that, but like you know, look at real estate agents. Real estate agents, or you know, driving the Beamers, and you think like, wow. I'm going to pay that guy a lot of commissions for not doing all that much. 
but they need to project success and financial success. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel exactly the same way about real estate agents. Yeah. And mortgage brokers too, for that matter. Uh, mm. Mm. Anyone else you want to have a dig at? While you're there? <laughs> <laughs> I should, no, I, I love tradies. So I, yeah. Anyway, just, just to, just to say that this, this was kind of, Thorstein Veblen was mm. a Norwegian born American economist, uh, wrote a book called theory of the leisure class in 1899. Um, and, came up with this idea they say most con- a lot of consumption is about conspicuous consumption and conspicuous leisure it's not about what you get out of it it's what it says mm. his, his great example was uh cricket saying oh, yeah. as as conspicuous leisure so you know if you're working class there mm. is absolutely no way you can take five days off to play a game just right. tool around eating cucumber sandwiches playing a really slow game mm. you also probably don't own white clothes so cricket was a, was a way to signify wealth. I can mm. I can take 5 days off and play cricket because I'm that wealthy. Yeah, right. So it's yeah, conspicuous leisure. That's interesting. You know what's interesting about that too is that Dennis Lilly was the great Australian fast bowler was also uh used to do ads spruiking steel blue boots. Ah, there you go. So there you go. Nice little full circle there with uh, old DK coming back with uh, from our cricketing story. <laughs> I don't know what I don't know what fast bowlers have to do with steel blue boots, but um, mm. but they they do always blow out the toe on their cricket boots. So uh, yes. maybe some steel caps would be perfect for mm. Pat Cummins and the crew. Modern mm. day cricketer could mm. be uh, dis- at the same time that they're taking wickets for Australia, they could be displaying their conspicuous wealth. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, I reckon that does us for this week. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love it if you uh, rated and reviewed the show wherever you listen to this podcast. But that is all for us for this week. We'll talk to you again next week. It's bye for now. You have been listening to an Equitymates Media production. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. This podcast is intended for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general advice only and has not taken into account your personal financial circumstances, needs or objectives. Before acting on general advice, you should consider if it is relevant to your needs and read the relevant product disclosure statement. And if you're unsure, please speak to a financial professional. The hosts of this podcast and their guests may have positions in the companies mentioned. Equitymates Media operates under an Australian Financial Services Licence 540697.